Welcome to the FishCast. This week we have special guest Bob Redman of Swamp247.com. Bob will discuss the Florida Gators football program who just finished up spring football. In segment two, we will discuss the University of Miami football Hurricanes recruiting. The Hurricanes just snagged one of the best signal callers in the class of 2022, Ja'Curry Brown from Lowndes County, Georgia. In segment three, FSU has their annual spring game coming up this weekend. Their visitor list for their recruits is very impressive. We will discuss the impact of the class of 2022. In our final segment, we discuss the Clemson Tigers spring game and what we expect this upcoming season. Welcome to this Easter edition of the FishCast. Me, your host, Corey Long. Here, of course, with the proprietor of all things Elite Scouting Service, Charles Fishbean. How you doing, Fish? I guess you just don't want to get my name right, but it's all good, man. It's all good. I Whatever, Fishbean, Fishbine, Bine Bean, Bean Bine. I'm close. Uh, I'm reading you. it as it sounds. All right. Uh, and, of course, also joining us, uh, Somehow getting Zoom on his rotary phone once again. Uh, former former defensive backs, former, former linebackers and special teams coach. <laughs> or defensive back, what do you coach? What did you coach? You got me confused last week. Hey, I can coach anything. but uh, coach anything. But the titles I carried were special teams coordinator, defensive coordinator, defensive back coach, but whatever, whatever. Well, and you got mad that I called you a linebacker. If you were a D coordinator, that means you coach linebackers at some point. You can coach anything, exactly. Miss Denver is here as well. Very long. All right, we have have a great guest with us. Um, From Swamp 24-7, the leaders in coverage of Gator football, and all Gator sports, actually. We have Mr. Bob Redman here to talk about the Gator spring season and how they're going so far. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we'll let Fish start the proceedings. Well, you know, I've actually known Bob. I, I think I met Bob about 15 years ago. And him and Demo, even though they don't know each other, are going to have something to talk about. But I had met him. And, you know, there was a guy down here, uh, Antron Wright, that basically controlled all the players in Dade County at the time. And one of the players that was at University of Florida summer camp and committed, and I helped, I think, break the commitment on Bob's, like, chat, was D. Morley. And I think Dorian Monroe was one of the other guys. And there was about, like, six guys that Tron had his hands in. Uh, one of them, Dima. Yeah, Demo landed one of them at Rutgers. But um, so, Demo, you remember D. Morley, what he did at the uh, Miami Palmetto Rutgers satellite camp. He tossed a kid in the ground <laughs> and made the kid quit. But probably the best defensive back I've seen or one of the best at camps, at a camp setting, and then ended up – I know he was committed to University of Florida and then ended up at Tennessee. Uh, we don't know how that happened, but it did. And then, um, you know – he was one of the best and it's, he's one of those sad stories, but Dima, you remember those guys. What, what do you remember about some of those guys that, uh, you know, we t- took a look at like D Morley and Monroe. Now they're special players, you know, Janoris Jenkins, you might as well throw him in there too. Yeah. Uh, all those guys really, I enjoyed watching, you know, in high school because they were competitors and they were characters, but they were, you know, they were great players. 
And uh, some of them did end up in Florida, but like you said, I, I don't know how they ended up in Tennessee, but uh, in any case, if it wasn't for you, they wouldn't have been at our, some of our satellite camps. I know that, especially the one we had at Palmetto, but uh, I thought they were really good players. I enjoyed, you know, recruiting and watching. Yep. So Bob, what, what are some of your memories of those guys? Those guys in particular, the way they played, just physical, really deep. He mentioned Janoris, but Janoris and D were really, really physical players. You said he tossed around somebody. I wasn't there for that, but <laughs> you can absolutely see that. They just, they line up across from you and they just handle you. And in high school, it was easy for them. And it, and really for Janoris, it was easy in college too. They're just super physical players, but um as far as the recruiting, it, it was a different kind of recruiting those guys now, that's for sure. It was it was a different deal um, down there back then. Um, it, it was some, so, you know, crazy stuff going on. Not necessarily those guys in particular, but uh, just that whole area sometimes was kind of shady at times. <laughs> the rabbit. See, Corey, you're on the clock, man. First one up. Uh, I'll be the first one up, and I'm going to actually. I'm talk. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the spring battles that have been happening with the Gators this spring. And, and you know, obviously, the first position, the most important position, quarterback, uh, replacing Kyle Trask. Uh, the race seems to be a two-man race: Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Um, we've seen Jones quite a bit the last couple of years. You know, they they had packages for him. Mostly to use his athleticism, using him, using him in space, throwing a little bit, but but a lot of runs. Um, Richardson, I got a chance to look at a little bit more in the, you know, a couple opportunities he had in the bowl game. I think he's a better passer of the two. Break down the QB race where it is. I mean, do you see this being a? Are they gonna? Are they both gonna try to play? Is this kind of a? Is Jones the guy that they want to go with? How is this thing gonna shake out? Well, I do think it's a little closer than than um, actually the coaches and and um, uh, even the players uh, talk about. Uh, you know, Mullen's always going to say that you know there's nobody has a job yet, blah blah blah, this kind of thing. But th that's that's the coach's thing. Um, but um, when he talks about the quarterbacks, it's usually Emory that he talks about, and Emory's always getting the first snaps and stuff like that. But even when you talk to Anthony. Um, you know, he he actually says, uh, instead of saying, I'm going out there to compete, try to get the job, he actually says, you know, it's Emory's time. So I think it would be a real uh, upset or just it would be something serious happened if Emory isn't the first guy out there on in the first game. Um, I, I think, you know, he's not going to throw the ball like Kyle Trask did. He's, he's not the uh, progression guy that, that Trask is as far as going through reads and stuff like that. But I think he's really going to open up the running game. You know, the running game hasn't been um, – I think Mullen's first year, it was it was pretty good. Um, it, they actually averaged about five and a half yards of carry, uh, which uh, was the best since Tebow was here. So that tells you, uh, you know, the, the offenses haven't been great really for all the time. But, but as far as running the ball and being physical and stuff, they did it pretty well in that first year. But the last two years – the running game has kind of slid uh, while the passing game has really blossomed and, and been really good. So I think you're going to see a step back in the passing and you're going to really see the running game uh, kind of take off and, and, and get a lot better. 
you know, I'll just add to that. Um, I had the opportunity to watch the Florida Gators pro day the other day. And uh, I think they're going to miss Trask a lot more than they think. I, I think he's going to be a productive NFL quarterback. I really do. He's not one of those top four or five guys they talk about right now coming off the board, but he's, he's going to shock some NFL teams. I think he's a prototype quarterback. And then I looked at Pitts and the Tony kid and the Grimes kid, man, they had some, he had some weapons, um, which they're going to have to replace. Um, but I really did like, I, I tell you, Trask quietly, I think will get something done at the next level. And I think his best game, as far as Trask is concerned, is it's really more of live play because uh, his best game to me is the best. He's been, he was, I was talking to Charles about this earlier. He's the best quarterback at Florida as far as reading progressions that they've had since Rex Grossman's. That's 20 years. Yep. And, and, and that's the thing for him is like, I don't think he necessarily looks great on the hoof because he doesn't throw that laser dart 20, 30 yard outs kind of pass. He can get it. Now he can get it there and he's very accurate at it, but he's not going to get it on a laser line. I actually, Emory can do that. Um, he's less accurate, but he can actually throw it like that hard, like that. Trask could do it, but he, he it's not the way he throws the ball. Uh, I just think his best thing is the fact that he can he can read four receivers in a, in a pattern and get it to the right guy and he and he actually knows before the snap where the ball is going to go I mean that that's the biggest thing for him is that uh, it doesn't last long in the pocket before it's out of his hand that's huge in the NFL I, I mean we talked about it anticipation being able to throw mm -hmm. guys open the windows aren't as big he understands where he's going before the snap of the ball he can read the defenses and coverages on the back end I think he's going to be uh, a steal in the draft. That's just my personal opinion, and um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, you brought up – I'm going to jump in real quick, Bob. You, you brought in the run game, and I think Corey Meehan, um, at the time, McKinley had discussed this a lot during – I thought the one thing they lacked last year was the run game. You know, as, as potent as their offense was, and Mullen – you know, Mullen is a run-based guy. I mean, whether he had Alex Smith at um, – you know, at Utah, he had Tebow, and the running game was so important when he was there the first time. You saw it at Mississippi State. When he could run, his offense becomes dynamic. And I do agree that Emory Jones, and, and it doesn't show up. See, Emory's not going to be that guy that's going to look good in pads in practice because they have the green jersey on. You limit a lot of that in spring. His strengths. In spring football, it's not going to look pretty because he'll run and somebody tags him, and it's basically flag football. But when the live bullets start flying, I think Emory's going to bring a lot more to this offense than a lot of people think. And, and he's going to open up running lanes for those backs that maybe weren't there last year. You know, teams were able to stuff the Gators run game, but now you have to worry about that quarterback holding on to it. And here's a guy that if he takes off and runs, he could go 60, 70 for a touchdown. And that ability is going to make the job of Malik Davis uh, Damian Pierce, Naquan Wright, or any of these other guys that they bring in, he's going to make their job easier. What are your thoughts? Absolutely agree with all of that. I think, um, and I, I, you know, we're not, we have not seen one snap of practice this spring. Uh, they did not open up any of it to any media or uh, public, but I got a couple of people that have watched and they have, they've gone from watching trash to watching Emory. And just like you said, in practice, it just doesn't look as pretty because He's more of a run guy, but I absolutely agree with when, when the quote unquote bullets are flying, 
all of a sudden defenses have to read two different guys that can run the ball and they have two different directions that they can run it. And I think it's going to do wonders for those backs. And, and honestly, these backs are built for space. If you get any of these guys, they're, they're a talented group. It's a really talented group, the most talented group they've had at running back in a while here. And if you get those guys in space, it's, it's a long one. And it's the same thing, like you said, for Emory. So, and I, and really for Anthony Richardson, he's more of a bull. I mean, he's, He's six four and you know two forty, and he's a a bold kind of guy. Um, but he can actually run very well too. So um, I, I absolutely agree. It's going to open up. And, and and back to Mullen being a run. You're right. I think back when they were you know uh, Tebow was here, and even at Mississippi State, he was really a two fifty two fifty rushing and passing yards guy. I mean, he he basically split it down the middle. Um, and just the way he called plays, it wasn't necessarily he was trying to do that. It's the way it worked out. But but he does want to lead with the run. Um, but he had such an efficient passer and really loaded at receiver that he kind of had to go the other direction last year. Bob, question for you. Um, watching their pro day, watching Pitts, he is everything that he's cranked up to be. I mean, he played with ran those routes with confidence. He knows he's the man. He plays like he's the man. He catches the ball. He can make people miss. Who do you think that Florida may have in the wings waiting uh, to replace him? Yeah, it's it's going to be by committee this year. Um, you know, Kamora Gamble um, from Miami is a, a guy that um, when Pitts went down in the Georgia game, he caught three passes for 51 yards and a touchdown. So he can he actually can do it. And two two games later, he caught two touchdowns, which is the most he had in the game. 66 yards was his biggest game. That's pretty good production from a tight end. Um, and then Keon Zipper is a really talented guy that really, he had a two-touchdown game but hasn't really uh, uh, broken out. And they have a true freshman that showed up this spring that's really gotten the attention of everybody, of Nick Elksness out of Jacksonville. Um, and he's a, he's a 6'6", 240, can really run, knows how to block. I mean – He's a true freshman, though. He's learning, but he really supposedly made a lot of plays um, at tight end, and uh, Brewster really likes him. Tim Brewster's the coach here at tight end. I'm a big fan of Nick. I was going to jump in real quick. Sorry, D. Was that the one we saw on Film Fish? Not yeah, Nick, Nick Elksness. He's, he's the he's kid. He's a good one. He reminds me of a Northeastern-type tight end, a kid that would go to Ohio State or Michigan. He's not yeah. your typical Florida kid. He doesn't. He looks like a Northern kid. I think he originally is from the North. Um, he looks like a guy that you would see in the Big Ten or at Penn State or one of these schools up there. He's six six. He's like two hundred forty pounds. He runs real. Everything's easy. He can block. He, he's a he's a complete player. And I believe that this is a kid that's going to come out of the state and potentially be a first or second round pick one day. He's that talented. Uh, and they're also bringing somebody else in, Gage Wilcox, who's from the Tampa area. I watched Gage at the Miami camp. Gage is, is more of a, a hybrid type tight end where you could kind of move him out to wide receiver. You could put him in the slot. You could put him out of the backfield as an H back or a fullback and do so much. Um, you know, I, you know, you know how Mullen likes to move his tight ends around kind of like what new England Patriots do. G Gage is a more versatile guy where Nick is going to be a straight line tight end, come off the block and, and play next to the tackle. So they got two good ones. And he, you know, he talked about Kamari, Kamari Gamble and Zipper. The Gators may have the best tight end room probably in the SEC and possibly the country. They're very talented there. 
And they certainly had it last year. <laughs> so. Yeah, no doubt. Mm. Thing was, my thing was lagging a little bit. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to keep it on. Final area of offense that we really want to talk about would be – I mean, I liked their offensive line last year. I thought it was a pretty good group. Uh, I know they've got some guys returning, and they've, they've got some decent depth there. How do you – I mean, what have you seen on the offensive line? Are there some new faces that might emerge uh, that we might see emerge in the spring game and over the summer? Yeah, well, they lost two starters. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think I think people want more from the offensive line. I think um, when they needed a yard or two, it was hard for them to get it. And uh, I think it'll be easier this year because of the dual threat at, run- at quarterback. That's going to be easier. Um, but when they really needed tough yards last year, that it wasn't easy to come by. They passed protected very well. Um, I think uh, they were either tops or second in the league in, in sacks allowed, and it was a team that threw all over the place. So that's a, that's a big number. Um, but you lose your left tackle and you lose um, your center um, and, and also your left guard. So – they, they, they move some people around – or no, you lose your right guard, sorry. They move some people around. You have Richard Garage, um, who is a third-year player who will be playing left tackle now. Um, you have um, uh, Stuart Reese, is, his sixth year, he, he went ahead and took the extra year of eligibility transfer from Mississippi State. Um, spent most of the spring starting at center, but um, true freshman – or no, I'm sorry, redshirt freshman – uh, Kingsley Egwakon from uh, Jacksonville uh, actually took the last couple of days and, and ran with the first team. So that's a that's a battle right there at center. Um, Ethan White, they really expect big things from from one guard spot. And then Josh Braun is a big, uh, really they really really like him uh, to, at the one other guard spot. The, the right tackle, um, you know, is is. Uh, uh, Gene DeLance is back. Uh, that was a real struggle. He struggled last year. He's played, he's been playing injured. So if he can stay healthy, he'll play better. Um, but they would really, I think, like to find if they could find a tackle in, in the transfer portal, they would love it. Their, their problem is depth. They got nobody really behind those guys that they really like. Um, and that's not a good sign, honestly, in your fourth year on campus. So they, that, that's an area where they need to, they need to get better. Bob, I know a lot of teams will recruit tight ends to eventually maybe move one of them to offensive tackle. Do you see any of those tight ends that we talked about possibly doing that? Do they have the frame and be able to put on that weight to do that, or do you think they're just strictly tight ends? Yeah, none of these guys, no. I mean, the closest one to it is Elksness, and he's too talented to to do that, yeah. too. So, I mean, he's yep. too sticky as a true freshman – you know, should have spent his last semester here in high school. He's already 260, but, or maybe, maybe he's 240. I, I'm getting, he's 6'6". Yeah, 240. So, you know, I don't, they don't have anybody like that at tight end. Um, they, they just, they've recruited numbers. They just don't have quality, um, real quality tackle, tackle depth. And, and they've got to find, uh, they've got to do better at that situation. And I think if they can find one, if somebody's ready to transfer, um, and they, somebody could get, you know, they could, they'd have a real shot at a starting spot, in my opinion. We've discussed this. The biggest problem you have in this state, it just doesn't produce enough linemen. I realize there's, 
you're talking Miami, Florida, Florida State, then you have UCF, USF, and then FAU and FIU. There's not there, there's not 25 to 30 high school linemen that are Division One every year. So like, it, it's very difficult, and and you have to go out of state, and then all of a sudden your odds go down because now you're competing against four or five schools instead of one or two inside the state. So when the Gators have been able to recruit well inside the state, and you look at Josh Braun, I thought he was one of those guys. They've pulled in some pretty decent guys in state. It's just out of state. It's just so hard. And if you miss, it leaves you short. Uh, but I agree. I, I think they'll get a, a decent O-line good enough where, you know, if they have a good run game, it'll help the O-line too and pass protection because now you're playing in second and three instead of second and 10 or third and long. And that really helps your O-line out as well. Plus, I think guys like Nick can help block and help, you know, that tight end. You're talking about that right tackle is not a, a strength. They could put that tight end over there to help or a running back to chip. So I think Mullen will figure it out. But one of the concerns, Bob, last year was their defense. And, you know, they have had – that's where the talent's been. What do you think about the struggles they've had? And do you think the defense has a rebound year in 2021? Yeah, you know, it's funny because they've actually recruited better – defensively and they've done better in the transfer portal on offense. So I think, I think older guys want to come and play in the offense because they know, but they've actually recruited pretty decently on defense, but yes, they struggled. Now that they were a top 10 defense the year before. Um, now they had CJ Henderson at one corner and he actually covered up a bunch of problems they had. Um, the, the, my biggest thing for, and the biggest thing this past year was the secondary play. And, and, you know, they got rid of both secondary coaches. So that's where they see the problem as well, too. I think not necessarily it was those guys' fault, but that's where most of the issues lied. You know, you had three senior safeties, and they didn't play like it. And they actually, basically the same coaches, they kind of digressed in their time at, in, in Gainesville. So I don't know why that happened, but it seemed to happen. Um, but I really like their young safeties. I think they're really good. They recruit very well at corner. Corner. They just got Jason Marshall, who was here this spring and had a really, really good spring. I, I expect him to be a starter in the fall. Um, but I, that secondary is the part that has to get fixed fast. I think they're good enough um, that the coaches really think the linebackers is going to be are going to be uh, a, a very strong position. Um, and then they brought in two uh, transfer defensive tackles that are going to start, and they really like the way those guys have played um, uh, early on as well. I mean, in the spring, and they expect those guys to, to, to be big for them. And then Gervon Dexter, right behind those guys, is has had a really super spring. As a guy, as a five-star guy that, um, it, you know, he had some plays last year, but he just – you know, he, he's, he's only, his, it was only his third year of playing football and his mechanics just ate him up sometimes. He just, you know, wasn't in the right play. And when you're playing an inside interior line on defense in the SEC, you're going to get swallowed up if you don't know what you're doing. You, you kind of swallowed up our next question with the Gervon Dexter. <laughs> I mean, he, he, we were going to discuss him. I mean, he's, I remember going to one of the uh, games or camps or something and he didn't work out and I already thought he was on U.S. football team I mean he's a grown man I mean Demo this is one of those kids like he's the first one off the bus he's yep. he's like six five six six two ninety he's uh, 315 pounds now oh man that's crazy but yeah, he's, he's a grown yeah he's a basketball player so physically huh. athletically he's super 
athletic. He just has only played football. This is this is really literally his fourth year of playing organized football, and he's just got a lot to learn. Now, I think Coach Turner really likes that because he doesn't have a whole lot of bad habits that he's been doing forever to shake him of, but he just didn't have much of a, you know, much of a base to build on. And then he didn't have a spring last year because he was here, but they, uh, you know, uh, they did, COVID kept everybody from having spring practice. So he, that, that kind of hurt him. Yeah, you know, getting yeah, to the next We've coach. talked about yeah. recruiting ready-made players. Yeah. You know, you might have to develop them somewhat uh, mentally with the game, but physically recruiting ready-made players. And it sounds like he, he was one of those players. Yeah. I mean, I had him rated the number one player in the state or number two overall. I, I just – you don't teach what he has. I mean, he was a freak athletically. If you could just take that talent and mold it, you've got a top 10 pick one day. And I, I still believe he's going to have a great career at University of Florida. Yeah. I think he had 30 sacks as a senior in high school. Not, we didn't play on the edge. He played a deep tackle. I thought, I thought he would play as an end last year because he came in around 260 or 270, I guess, but he bulked up really quickly. That might not have helped him either to do that, but he played at over three, about 310 pounds last year. He's a big, big kid. Yeah. You know, you, you discussed it before um, in one of the other uh, earlier is the linebacker group. One kid I was a real big fan of coming out of high school was Chris Bogle out of Cardinal Gibbons High mm -hmm. School. I believe, you know, he's the type of guy that he's kind of that rut, what, you know, he's kind of a hybrid rush end outside linebacker, pass, mm -hmm. pass rusher. You can move him around. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on him and the impact he'll have on the linebacker group this year? Yeah, he's mainly going to be a rush end, uh, which, Really, they count as a linebacker. They call it, you know, it's a buck here, and they call it a linebacker sometimes. Um, but he's going to back up uh, Brenton Cox, the transfer from Georgia, who, the, you know, they had a decent, pretty good year last year, but not the really big breakout year everybody was hoping and expecting. Uh, but he's right behind him and pushing him. So, I, you know, I expect him to – I expect um, Bogle to, to play a lot and play more and uh, – he's going to be a player. I think he's a really good one. Um, just kind of waiting his turn right now. You know, I, it, your front seven guys really make your back four guys. If you can put pressure on the quarterback without blitzing, it helps that young secondary develop that you mentioned. And as they're developing, they're getting better, obviously. Your front seven really helped them do that. And then they're when the guys in the back get to the point where they can really play at a high level and not make mistakes, then you got a complete defense. And I think that's what Florida needs to be able to take it to that next level, minus the quarterback that we were talking about. Because if you always have a quarterback, you always have a chance. You look at all the teams that make it in the NFL, like we talked about, to the Super Bowls and to the playoffs in college. They all have one thing in common, that's the quarterback. Yeah, and I think um, that could have been part of the problem last year is that the, the front yeah. step – kind of young um they were missing one of their d tackles for the first three games and that really set them back um but brenton cox was in his first year zachary carter was is an older guy but kind of his first year playing a lot a whole lot and uh they, i think it kind of set them back a little bit in the back end um they just weren't getting you know they had jonathan grenard the year before and they had jakai polite the year before that those guys were record breakers all sec players and then last year, they, none of those guys were there. And they, were, they, they didn't have those really big, tre tremendous playmakers making plays off the edge. 
So that was probably part of it for the secondary. Um, but they were they were just blown assignments and stuff like that 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 you know older guys shouldn't be making. And and um, and, and honestly, it was a weird year I think with COVID. I mean, you, if you'll remember, yeah. Alabama's defense was horrible in the beginning of the year. I mean, they were terrible. They were giving up 400, 500 yards as well. And, you know, as, as Gator defense was giving up that much. And, and I kept saying, well, look what Alabama's doing. I mean, they, they got five yeah. strong all over the place and they were still giving up all that. It was just a weird year with COVID. And I think people, I think in the spring, you know, people, people didn't have a spring for one. So there's a little bit less physicality that you get when you play defense. And then two, I think because of COVID, you couldn't be too physical because if you had injuries and then you had COVID uh, guys missing on top of that, you were in real trouble. And, and uh, I think I think they took it easy. I, I, I really do, and I think it hurt them physically. Uh, you're not. I think you'll see a better uh, tackling team at Florida. It may, and some teams probably just didn't do it that way, and and they probably performed better as long as they didn't have guys missing because of COVID. Yep. You talk. You talk about the back end. Jason Marshall was a kid that came in early. I was mm-hmm. really high on him. I, you know, he's another top five type player. You know, you know, the Gator fans talk about on your message boards that you guys can't recruit, but <laughs> they landed the top player in Gervon Dexter. You know, Jason Marshall is probably the number one corner in the state last year. Tell us a little bit about him and what, you know, how he's progressed this spring. Yeah, you know, I don't, th- Marshall had a couple of really big practices and then, but, it, but overall it was just solid. He's not a guy that gives up too much and doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't get beat often enough to, that you worry about him. They've had guys come in here, you know, Chris Steele transferred. He was a five-star that came in from California and a kid that just didn't, I mean, his spring, his first spring here was not a good one. It was, it was not a good one. And so uh, that that's Marshall, he, he, you know, he's a true freshman. He gives up a play here or there, um, but, but he also makes plays and, and you just don't, he just doesn't seem like a freshman. And again, I'm not watching this. This is what I'm hearing from people. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, I think, I, I think, in my own personal mind, I think he's going to start. I think Kyer Elam, of course, will start. Um, and then um, Jadon Hill is the third guy that two will play corner and one will probably start at nickel. And they'll figure that out. Elam's definitely one of the corners, and the other two, they'll figure out the other two spots. Marshall's representing Miami you Palmetto know, for me. <laughs> you could go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fist is album water. Oh, but you, you hit on a good point, Bob, is, is, is that spring football is really meant to develop these young players and really meant to develop everything. And I had an opportunity last night to go up and watch a, a Division II school up here where I'm from, East Strasburg University, practice, and the air – that was the, 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 the way they competed and all the things that you missed out on. You really got to see the kids excited and a chance to compete. And it was uh, East Stroudsburg is actually James Franklin's alma mater. He pulled up and I was able to have some talks with James uh, as we watched practice. But you hit on a point so big. You only get better at stuff when you do it. And this is what spring practice is going to allow these players to do, get better. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they, the coaches – two or three of them this year when we interviewed them this spring um nothing they just say nothing beats repetitions you got to get it you got to keep doing it you got to keep doing it and um they didn't get any of that last year i mean florida did not have a single spring practice i think tennessee or had a couple maybe before they got shut down a couple of schools had them but 
had a couple, but that nobody got far. Florida, Florida was smart, got them, got them started this year early, so that if something happened, they could have a break and then go back at it. But um, uh, they didn't have any issues with COVID this spring, so get to watch that film you know to get to, to get to evaluate and go yep. back and do it again and go watch the film and make the corrections and get them better those things really you missed out on last spring which i think they're going to take full advantage of this spring no doubt i know the i know uh um jules montanar is the, is the cornerback coach now new guy they just brought in and he he talked about that that you know, they got all those reps in and that was this biggest thing is just go rep, go rep, go rep. And then, then they can put it on film and they have all their little iPads and they can look at that all summer and figure out, okay, this is where I messed up. This is where I did it right. And, and emulate the, the good stuff. Bob, I want to, we want to close out this uh, conversation with, you know, maybe a little prediction, a little, a uh, little forecast. Oh my goodness. Uh, the SEC East is a two-team race. Who are we kidding here? I mean, we got three new coaches, uh, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and um, South Carolina have new coaches. Kentucky's not going to compete. Missouri's probably a year or two away. They're, you know, I like what Eli Drinkwitz is doing, but they're not ready yet. So it's going to come down to the game in Jacksonville. Beyond that, Florida doesn't get a break in the SEC West this year. They get Alabama and LSU. Yeah. So what do you see out of this team – can this team win the East this year? Are they, is this, might, might this be a little bit of a, I won't say rebuilding year, but maybe a transitional year to maybe a better year in 2022. What are you looking at when you look at this Gators team? Yeah, man, it, you know, it's a really tough call because I think the, the one thing I think, well, the two things, I think the first thing is the defense is going to be a whole lot better. I just, it can't be worse. It just can't, and, and but I think it's going to be a whole lot better, and so that's a big part of of the issues they had. I mean, it was a, it was the, the biggest downfall, of course. Um, and then the, the other question is whether um, you know whether they're going to make up enough of the offense in the running game uh, to to cover that passing game. But um, you know, trying to forecast. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely going to be a Florida, Georgia. That's, that's exactly what I think too. Um, you know, Georgia's got a lot coming back. They, they actually, they lost a bit too. So it, it, I, I don't know. It, I, it's kind of a toss up Florida, not having the easy schedule and getting Alabama and LSU uh, is not, not necessarily desirable. Um, but um, man, Put me on the spot. This is early. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not good. I'm good. I'm good. Go ahead. All right. Was well, a better way of asking is, I mean, can we? Is it? Will it be? Will the Alabama game kind of give us a better idea of what kind of team this is? Win or lose, will it give you a better idea of what kind of team you're going to see for the following nine games after that? You know, I think Alabama is, is a hard one to judge your team on. Um, but, but they got a lot of stuff. You know, they've lost a lot. They got a lot. We, we, they're always going to be good. We know this. They're going to be very, very good. But if, you know, Florida wins that game, you're looking at a team that's not going to compete for a championship. Florida loses that game by a field goal. You got to feel good about the rest of your schedule. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, well, let's put it this way. I think I think if Florida wins that game, it'll be a major upset. Let's put it that way. That particular game. Um, if they if they win or even come close, 
I think that bodes yes. I think that does bode well for the rest of the season. I I think there's just a lot of questions on Florida right now, and and because the defense was so bad, they have to get so much better, and then the quarterback position, which is the most important position on the field. The heck, they even had their kicker go pro early, so that you know they they're they're going to have a new kicker this fall. So um, it's uh th- those two questions right there the quarterback and the secondary are so i mean not secondary but the defense and, and the entirety but led by the secondary are, are such big questions that I-, I think if florida can stay close with alabama i think that's a great sign quite honestly i think gator fans will take that right now um and i know alabama does lose a lot but they always lose a lot and they're always in the title hunt so um that's just you know they recruit they recruit 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 five stars and uh, Florida's not doing that right now. I, um, you know, we've uh, we've got through a lot of this. It's it seems like it's going to be a at least an interesting season down in Gainesville with a lot of questions that remain, a lot of new faces. Um, but one thing I can say is that coaching staff under Dan Mullen and, and Dan Mullen, I think, is one of the finer coaches in college football, and I think he's going to have a great staff. And I just, you know, even even with a hard schedule, they're not a team that I think is going to fall too far from being, you know, on the, on the, on the top end of, you know, at least competing for a new year's six bowl, uh, regardless of how it looks. Um, um, I, I really, uh, thank you for stopping on Bob. Any, uh, any final words you have about, uh, what Florida's doing in the spring, what to look for in the spring game, maybe what to look for over the summer. Yeah, their spring is over and they're what, they didn't have a spring game. So, okay. um, they, they got done really fast. They went through it. Uh, really quick it's been done it got done last saturday so wow yeah so um but they didn't they didn't have a spring game so it kind of went you know unnoticed that everything ended um and then they've already had their pro day so it's pretty much football's ended for a while now it's just about those guys working out in the summer and um you know uh getting some guys healthy that they need um you know demarcus uh, Bowman was injured in the spring, so he needs to get back healthy. Um, and so they have another guy in that running back rotation. But, uh, you know, I think back to kind of what you just said, you know, uh, you know, losing to Georgia and losing to Alabama, those two teams could very well be in the national title hunt again. And Alabama is probably going to be favored to win it, whoever they line up at quarterback in the other spots. Um, and then Georgia, you know, in Florida, either of Georgia or Florida, um, so losing those two doesn't mean you're going to be out of a New Year six. It's just hard to try to win the SEC East if you lose both of those games. So that that's kind of where I was at with that. Well, Bob, I appreciate you coming on. One last thing that we do with all our guests, uh, it's not it's not a hot topic or anything. We allow you to put your social media. How would uh, Gator fans or recruits follow Bob Redman? Oh, man, I never even spelt my, uh, my Twitter name. <laughs> So I have to actually go look it up because I never do this, but no, it's, it's, uh, uh, I'm at Bob Redman underscore two, four, seven at Bob Redman underscore two, four, seven. And that, uh, we're at swamp two, four, seven.com. Um, and you can come over and give us a try for one week for free, uh, with VIP material. Uh, Blake Alderman does a, a whole ton of recruiting stuff for us and, and is always, uh, putting vip stuff up so uh, we we have we, we never stop we got three full-timers here working all the time and all we do is cover three major sports of, of gator uh gator sports so 
uh, we'll have you covered if that's what you're looking for, football, baseball, or basketball. Well, thanks for coming on, Bob, and uh, we look forward to you know having you come back uh, maybe sometime before the season starts or whatever. But um, you know, you know, I'm glad you're uh, doing all right, and, and we look forward to speaking again in the future, man. All right, guys. Thank you, Bob. Nice talking Bye. to you. Yeah, thanks for Welcome back to the Fish Cast. Once again, thank you to Bob Redman for stopping by to talk about Gator football. I can't believe their spring is done already. It's done before the before April even. Uh, we're back with some news updates a little bit it was kind of a quiet week with it being the week of easter but a few things did happen first thing i want to talk about some recruiting miami lands jacuri brown a good looking big quarterback prospect out of Lowndes high school uh, out near the metro atlanta area fish you know in your evaluation you made the comparison physically that he looks like cam newton I looked on, you know, I looked at his film too, and I could say, yeah, he is a big, good-looking quarterback. You know, he's one of them guys you look at, you say, 6'5", he's going to be 6'5", he's going to carry 230, 235 pounds of body weight. Um, really, well, he, he really must excite you a little bit. Yeah, I'm a big fan if guys can both run and pass, just the way the game has evolved. Um it, it's crazy, you know, back in the days of Charlie Ward, he was like, you know, this great guy that could pass and throw. And the game's changed so much, um, even at the pro level. Outside of Tom Brady, everybody now is looking for the quarterback that can move, um, do things with their legs. But what I like about Ja'Curry Brown, he's he, 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 he is very physical when he runs. When he gets out in the open, he pulls away from defenders. Usually guys his size – are kind of long striders. He's kind of not one of those guys. He just gets up and he gets onto the second level. And before you know it, he's running by DBs. And I think that ability to run uh, and what Rhett Lashley did with D.R. King last year, this is a bigger, faster D.R. King with the ability to throw. I think he's a better thrower. Now, you look at his throwing motion, It's a his mechanics are going to have to be fixed. He has a little bit of E.J. Manuel in him with his throwing mechanics. So he, he, he does wind up and he has a longer throwing motion. So I think he's going to have to shorten his throwing motion, but that's all stuff. That's why they got Dan Mullen, uh, not Dan Mullen, uh, Rhett Lashley coaching him, uh, who's going to be coaching him at the next level. His job is to fix those mechanics, fix the footwork, fix the things that you can do as a coach that you're paid to do. Uh, the physical ability is there. Uh, you know, Dima will talk about it a little bit, there's been all different types of quarterbacks throwing motion. They, he had one with Phillip Rivers that had an awkward throwing motion. It's how quickly you get rid of the football. It doesn't matter if the ball comes over the top, it comes sideways, underhand. I don't care how you get rid of the ball. It's how quick you could get rid of it, how quickly you process, and can you anticipate and throw guys open. If this kid's be, can do, he has all the physical traits. If he could learn those other things, this is a kid that you're talking that could be getting drafted real high in the draft and ended up playing on Sundays. You know, the things you talk about with quarterbacks, and the first thing really is, is can they process information and can they process information in a hurry? The second thing is, can they extend the play? 
once they process the information and that play's not there, can they extend it by going to the second or third option or doing it with their feet? And I think this young man can do both. The plays that they did design, the run plays with him, were up the middle because he is a physical kid, whether it be quarterback, uh, excuse me, quarterback trap, quarterback power, what have you. He was a physical kid. He did have a long gate throwing motion, but he was getting the ball where it needed to be. And one thing, you know, talking with Norm Chow, who I've known for quite some time now, he never wanted to deal with the fundamentals of a quarterback's throwing motion. He said, listen, as long as he understands where the ball needs to go and he can process information and do get rid of the ball quickly, it's not really a big, big thing I want to mess with. And I think this kid has the chance to do that. He is a physical kid, like you mentioned, Fish. He does extend plays. He does make throws. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in, especially if they don't need him right away. And he could be there a year or two before he gets on the field. Yeah, I, um, I don't, you know, I, I'm really, I'm interested in this new style of quarterback from Miami. You know, you've had so many, you know, we're talking well over almost 40 years of pretty much a traditional pro style drop back passers. You can go through the names from Bernie to Vinny to Jim Kelly to Steve Walsh to, you know, Ken Dorsey and uh, Covington and, and all of them. Brad Kaya. Uh, Brad yeah, Kyle's another one. Yeah, yeah um, you know, so you know the idea that you know you, they're going to they're going to more dual through it's an, it's a, just a new way. It's just showing you how Manny is really trying to evolve Miami football and change a little bit of what their identity is. So I think he's. I mean, I looked at the film and I mean, you just the athleticism blows you away. The physical attributes you just can't argue with them, and. You know, I think the areas that, you know, the, the, is a hitch in his throat, the stuff like that can be fixed. They don't worry about that. You look at, you know, you look at, you know, you know, I look at them like a tremendous piece of clay that they'll be able to mold. And they've got time to do that with them. You know, he's not a guy that they're looking at that has to be on the field next year or anything. They've got some time because they've got some depth at the position. Yep. I mean, See, what, what has happened is, is as the defenses got better, so did the offenses. Mm -hmm. And how did the offenses get better? They spread you out. And when they spread you out, you're able to utilize the talent that you have on offense better, whether it be a mobile quarterback, okay, because you, you, get, you spread the defense all out. And then you take those guys on the outside and you put them in one-on-one -on -one situations where they're able to defeat a defender and it's called playing in space. And that's what has happened lately is, is, is you're spreading them out giving the quarterback opportunity to do that gun run read and be able to use his feet and be an athletic quarterback to be able to throw and run. And, and, and I think that's exactly what this kid is. Yeah. I mean, you just look at college football now, Trevor Lawrence for as much of a pocket passer he is. I mean, he busted off a 60 yard run in the national championship game and outran guys that were faster than him. You look at, uh, you know, the Wilson kid out of BYU, you look at Justin Fields, you look at, all the top quarterbacks that are in this year's draft can all run. And that ability, you keep defenses honest. It's very difficult with that uh, RPO now. You don't know if it's going to be a pass or a run. And it, the defenses are at a disadvantage now when you have a quarterback that you don't know where he's going to be at. And I think you could ask any D coordinator. They'd rather play a guy that's a pocket passer that they know where he's going to be all the time. He's going to be in that one spot. He may move a little left or right or whatever, like, but those guys that just sit there and can break a defense down and, 
it's third and 12 and you did everything right as a defensive coordinator and they take off and run and run for 15 and move the chains it demoralizes a defense and the players on that side and the coordinator because you just can't do anything about it and i think this is one of those guys that can do that i think miami finally has one of those dual threat quarterbacks that their fans have been you know dying for for years this is one of those guys and if he can sit and learn this is he's going to be able to go in he's going to be able to sit and learn be patient realize his time's going to come i think once they're able to develop him and spring him on uh defenses in another couple of years i think they got a star in the making you had a good point fish you know there's a lot of defensive coordinators that are very good when the team is in the huddle they break the huddle they have a pro style quarterback you know the formation you, you, you can really um uh, find out what they're doing as far as scheme wise scheme them up and get after them and they're good but once they start spreading out they start doing the fast break offense they have a mobile quarterback uh-oh it's a different ball game then yeah absolutely absolutely and you know speaking of talented players fsu needs an influx of them and they've got their spring game list of expected visitors and i tell you i'm you know, I haven't always been impressed with this staff in terms of recruiting, but this is an impressive list here, Fish. I mean, they got a lot of big guns, big guns, uncommitted guys, whether you look at A.J. Duffy, who I think is I think is one of the top quarterbacks in the nation, uh, Julian Armella, an offensive lineman they absolutely need. You go down this list, you see, um, you see Shamar Stewart, who's a, one of the top defensive players in this recruiting cycle. Um, they've got top players of the 2023 class showing up. I was impressed. I mean, it, I'm, I mean, I don't know how they got. Did they tell them everybody this was Alabama spring game or something? <laughs> something was playing Alabama. What they do? I don't know, man. But the, the thing is, Corey, and you knew, you know, this when we had our combines or camps. You know, you it's putting together a list, and when you get 50, you just want to get half. If you get half of them, you're ecstatic. The fact that they've been able to put a list together like this and these players have told them uh, that they're coming, I think is very impressive. And we've talked about this before, and, and I, I think the one mistake that you constantly hear, whether it's message boards or fans in general, is that, oh, you have to win to get kids to come. And I just, I think that's not true. If you got good recruiters on your staff, guys that, that can sell the vision. Hey, listen, we're not good now, but man, you're going to, you're going to make us FSU of old. And the reality is, and I try to tell people this Florida state's one of only how many programs in the last 10 years that's won a national title. All right. You're talking a handful of programs. They they've never had this downtime. And if you look at the history and what they provide and what kids they get on campus and, 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 the environment of that stadium. I, I remember being there for the Oklahoma game that year and they lost, but the environment at night at eight o'clock on a prime time game, if you can't sell that program, I don't care if you're 0 and 12 or 12 and 0, you're not a good recruiter. All right. I've talked to you about this a bunch of times. Good recruiters are guys that land kids at schools like Marshall. And those, those, that, those guys have to grind Florida state. I believe, the logo gets you to the front of the line. Now, the guy behind that shirt also matters. I do think you need to have good recruiters. But as this list shows you, these kids believe that they're the ones that are going to turn Florida State back. That's that. If you recruit Florida kids, and Demos recruited them before, 
All right. Demo recruited Florida kids to Rutgers when it wasn't cool to go to Rutgers. And those kids are like, yeah, right, coach. I'm going to help you win. I remember his recruiting pitch to one of the kids that he was recruiting to Hawaii. He's like, listen, we're playing USC in the opener. You know what? You're going to be the guy that's going to shut down um, the wide receiver that was from Tampa Berkeley prep. You know, that's Nelson Aguilar. You're going to be the one that helps me shut that down. And those kids believed him. They were like, oh, my God. And you know what? What happened? They were starting on opening night against USC. And they're like, holy cow. They, 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 they were like, you know what? Everything this coach told me is true. So if you have a coach, no matter what your record is, that can sell that, you're going to land these kids. And, and, and Dima will tell you this. At Florida State, at Miami, at Florida, it ain't hard to recruit. You make it difficult. The kids choose you not the other way around. All right. The top kids choose you because of the program you are. So yeah, this list is impressive. I think it, it, they've done a very good job of, um, you know, you could tell they focused on these kids last over the last year and a half. And that's why, you know, their 2021 class wasn't that good. They focused on it and the hard work's paying off now. Now they got to land the, now you get these kids on campus, you got to lock them up. You got to sell them and say, listen, these are the facts. We're probably not going to be uh, an ACC championship team this year. We're not going to be playing for a national title or the playoffs. But guys, you are the one that are going to bring Florida State back. And kids want that. They want to, oh, we're that good? You know we're, damn, we're that damn good. We're going to bring you back. And those are the type of kids you want. You don't want the kid that's like, oh, man, I, I want to go to the program that's already made. Because those are the kids that are going to bring your program down at the end of the day. You want those dogs that sit there and say, you know what? Yeah, you won three games. You bring me on. We're going to win eight or nine first year. And you know what? We're going to be playing for a national title in my third year. And that's what they're recruiting now. You know, I, I think what's important to kids, do you have an academic service implemented? Are your facilities top notch? Do you compete against other teams that are highly recognizable? And, and they have all that. So, like you said, Fish, when a kid sits in the stands and, and, and the team's three and eight or, or four and eight or whatever it may be, it really doesn't deter a great player. He's like, I can go out there and play right now. I don't care if they were eight and four or undefeated or four. It doesn't matter. I can go out there and make it happen. And some people just get all nervous because the team didn't have a winning record. But sometimes it works in your favor. It really does. And I think that's what's happening at Florida State. That's why you look at this list and you see it so long. Now, you have to have good recruiters on your staff because you're going to have to show some of these kids some love when they get there. You know, you have a huge list. So what are you going to do? I mean, you better have people be able to have, know how to talk to these kids. They'd be able to get them to go there and, and stay there and then show up. But you always used to say, don't worry about the ones that, on that list that didn't show up. Worry about the ones that did. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, uh, I you know, again, I agree with both of you. I agree with Fish that in sense that Florida State, you know, the brand still sells itself wonderfully. And it's good that I think that they're realizing that. I, I I don't totally, so I'm not one of these guys that buys into the fact that they just, that they, that they punted on a 2021 class. I think they just had a bad class. And they struggled, had a bad class. They had a quarterback prospect. They had been recruiting for three years. He dumped them at the last second and went with all. And I think confidence-wise, that group was shot. I think the recruiting confidence was shot. But, you know, they seem to have gotten it back. I think by getting off to a good start with the 2022 class, 
got these guys pumped up. I think it got them believing again that, you know, they might be the right people for this job. And, and you know, I think we've seen that with the way that they've gone about trying to secure talent, secure official visits, and, you know, things of that nature with this first, first third of this recruiting cycle. Well, Corey, listen, you know I agree with you. We've discussed this over and over about their 2021 class. It was the worst class I personally believe they've signed in 40 years since I've been watching Florida State. I started watching Florida State football in 1980. The first game I ever went to college or pro was FSU, Oklahoma. My grandfather brought me to the Orange Bowl, and, you know, I became a fan of their team, all right? But at the same time, I've told you this before, when I spoke to my contacts that were close to Florida State back in October, they were like, all right, a majority of our class is going to come from grad transfers, like 10 to 12. Like, they knew at that point that the 2021 class and that ship was going down. So I think they, it's not like they didn't keep trying to recruit. I just think at that point, they're like, all right, we better focus on that next year and get that class going right. Because if we don't, we're not going to win. Like to me, this 2022 class makes or breaks this coaching staff. If they don't have a good class, they're not going to have too many more classes after this. This is the single most important class probably one of the most important classes in FSU history for a coaching staff. I, I, I'm not just saying that they have to land a good class because one, you had, uh, you know, his first class was a transition class. We've talked about that. He, he had to come in. You had Willie had a transition class and then uh, Norvell had a transition class. So basically you had two classes within three years that were that first class that you know you're not landing good players. It's just like you're throwing it together. Um, now with the sh the early signing day, you're you're just hoping to land some decent prospects that are flo good floor guys. But then with COVID, they got a second transition class. So basically, he has about fifty or sixty players on that roster that probably wouldn't be at Florida State if they were recruiting and humming like they can. This 2022 class is it it's 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 gonna make or break what these guys want to do and 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 they've gotten off to a great start but they we know as the season go comes up they're not going to have a great season they're not going to win 9 10 11 12 games they i'm pretty sure most of the coaches in that office know that too it's not it's there's no control over it they just don't have a talented roster but the way they're going to make that roster talented is this year's class and to me it, it's, I can't emphasize it enough how important this 2022 class is. It doesn't matter 23, 24, if they don't land a top 10 to 12 class. And I'm not talking, you know, that bump that Florida State gets when they get a two-star and they end up making them a four-star just because he goes to Florida State. They need legit football players that when, when they step on campus, they're better looking than the kids they already have there. Those difference makers just physically, the one, Demo and I, he'll tell you, the ones that belong at Florida State, you don't have to ask the coach who they are when you walk into that high school. You walk, look at that field and they just stand out. They need those type of players because development and all that other BS is just that. Fans want to say development, development, development. You know what? We talked about it with the Gervin Dexter kid. That kid looked like he belonged at Alabama or Florida as a junior in high school. 
And that's what you get at Florida State. And that's what they need in this class. I think what you're talking about, Fish, is physically. They physically have to look the part. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have to develop them a little bit. But one of the easiest things to do, and I shouldn't say easy because really nothing's easy in college football, but to go from garbage to good, that's easy to do. I mean, you go out and get better kids than you already have. If you, if you know half of what you're doing, and you're especially in a state that's as rich as Florida, you can go from terrible to good. The hardest thing is to go from good to great and then stay there yeah. and then be consistent with what you do recruiting-wise. That's the hardest thing to do. So, yes, this class was important. It was important for them to get this list together, get those kids on campus, and then get them signed. And then the hardest thing now is consistency, to be able to do that year in and year out, to get better kids each year and sign them to your team because that's the hardest part. And the Alabamas and the Clemsons, they're the ones that are mastering it right now. And that's why you see what you see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think FSU fans would feel a little better if uh, Chris Demarest was uh, doing the recruiting for them this year. That's all. I, mean. <laughs> I appreciate that, Corey. Um, We're going to keep banging that drum, right, Corey? Like, Ooh, eventually, whoa. we are going to bang that drum. That won't be edited out of our podcast, all right? No, Anybody that listens, we are going to bang that drum <laughs> until that drum gets heard, all right? Well, I just know how special Florida kids are. I, I, I'll always say it because throughout my career, it's always been special. They've been special, and they whatever they say they were going to do, they've always lived up to it, no matter where I've been. Well, our final uh, news update, well, we, we were gonna, going around the ACC going to Clemson's spring game. Uh, you know, sad news. I mean, obviously, their their quarterback situation is pretty set at the starter with uh, DJ UI Galele um, jumping in for um, Trevor Lawrence. But the primary backup, uh, Tyson Pumachin, and that's the way to pronounce it, Pumachin. <laughs> is, uh, like Fish you know, Pumachin, uh, he ruptures Achilles, um, which is – Usually, usually it's a nine-month injury at uh, these stages, so I would assume he'll be out for the 2021 season. Uh, you know, Clemson has other quarterbacks. They have uh, they have three that are scheduled to come in this summer. Um, two of them are uh, baseball prospects, however, so we'll have to see if they, you know, where they get picked at in the MLB draft and to see how they end up uh, how that ends up working out for them. But um, you know, it's a big it's a big injury. It was a downer on what was otherwise seemed to be a very positive day. Uh, the big the big news in terms of, of guys that stood in the game was a wide receiver, a Joe, a Joe, who is uh, comes from comes from my area. He's from uh, well, he's from I think he's from Canada. I think he moved to Clearwater to go to high school. I think maybe a couple of years there. Big kid, six four. 220. I, I think they're going to be loaded at receiver, especially if Justin Ross can come back from his back injury this year. But, you know, obviously you got some concerns now if you don't have any real experienced quarterback depth, even though we both think, uh, you know, DJ is quite the player up top. But, you know, Clemson went through this a few years ago. If you remember when, um, when, when they decided to replace uh, Kelly Bryant with Trevor Lawrence, Kelly Bryant decided to um, transfer out. And they were left with, uh, you know, they were left with him and the, uh, the young man that ended up at Duke for a bit. Forgot his name. And then ironically, uh, Trevor Lawrence gets injured the following week and they have to use the kid. <laughs> and they survived, the, they survived the game and ended up winning the national title, of course. But, man, I tell you, 
it's all it's always a little scary when you can go into the season with one experienced quarterback. You know, Corey, I, I, I remember watching Clemson last year in their opening game against Wake Forest. And Trevor came out and, I mean, torched him. And you're like, all right, it's 35 nothing, And the backups are going to come in and the score is going to be 70. They're going to roll up 70 points. Well, all of a sudden, DJ came in and they brought in this famous, the other kid, I can't even pronounce his name, Tyson. They brought these guys in and... I don't think Wake for I don't think Clemson scored in the second half. And that's when I knew Clemson was not as good as they were the prior years because that's how you know you're a great team and Demo's been on those great teams at what you know at Florida State is when you roll in the backups and the backups are as good as the starters and you just keep grounding that team and pounding them and and basically you look up at the scoreboard and it's 63 to 14 or 17. They didn't do that. And, and you could see that this team was starting to – that the recruiting, we've talked about this, that they haven't recruited to that same level. They, the depth isn't the same. Some of the starters, you look at their D-line, they had four guys going to the NFL draft on their D-line a couple of years ago. One went, went to the Dolphins, one went to the um, Giants. You look at their D-line now, Brian Breesey, was a five-star kid. Tyler Davis was a kid from Orlando. I liked, but he was undersized. Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas was a six-two guy that was a five-star DN, but he was kind of sawed off. But because of the rankings, these guys got hyped like they were the four guys that left, and they're just not as good. They're the, they're a step below them, and that little bit of a step below, while it's great to have, it's not those. Four guys that those war daddies Demo was talking about that could just get after it, and you don't have to worry about the back end. And you've seen it the last two years with their defensive coordinator. Their defensive coordinators had to blitz more and do things on the back end that he's not, that's not what coaches want to do. They don't want to have to bring the house all the time. They want those four guys up front that could get it done and then mix stuff up. And you could tell that the talent level at Clemson's starting to slip. And it's not their fault. Listen, Clemson's still recruiting at a high level, but it's not to the as good as this quarterback is, DJ is. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson. As good as you know, they're, they're running. I can't go out there and say he's not who he's I, not. I don't think he's as good. year old kid that well, threw for 400 yards in his first well, ever start I mean, he, against Notre Dame. Yeah, I but you, that, I'm not going to say who he's not, okay? That's Corey, if you not. watch the Boston College game, he was the reason they were down by four touchdowns. And he was early. also the reason they won the game. No, I understand. Listen, yeah. he has a lot of talent. but the, Yeah. I, I don't know. Saying, you know, before we – I mean, Deshaun Watson wasn't Deshaun Watson when he first stepped out on the field. He was pretty he was darn good, days. though. But he you know what? He didn't even start the season. You no, know, I know that. He started stout. So, no. that's the thing. So it happens all the time. Quarter coaches yeah. start guys that aren't as good as the guy yeah. that they should be. Yeah, you know, Georgia makes a, a but, product of it. But, but you know, if you watch them the other day, their running back wasn't as good as the running back that just left. You know? Here's what we're talking about. Kid didn't have a spring last year. Yeah. His first ever start, yeah. you know, his first starts were against tough teams. They were against two, one team that made the playoffs and one team that would have probably won their bowl game had they played it. He played exceptionally well. Yeah. Like I looked at him, my first comparison he's, was Dante Culpepper. Well, I listen, I don't think he's going to be the problem, but yeah. I will say this. They have yeah. other issues on this team. I mean, I don't think they do. I think they've got issues running back. I think they've got issues at 
yeah. offensive line. I their best, that, their best offensive lineman in the spring game, or one of them, is Marcus Tate, a freshman yeah. from Florida. Yeah, that, that's. I, I, like, I like their D line. I think Brian Breezy is. I think Miles Murphy, your first round pick. So oh, they're studs. Often you still got two first rounders on your D line. I want to have that drop in talent. Well, you I know, mean, there's no. I, I, I listen. I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm telling you. There is a it's it's a it's not a significant drop. It's enough for them to not be as good as they've been, and and it happens. It you see it slightly happen with these teams. I mean, listen, it, you've seen guys, uh, you've seen it at Florida State. Mario Edwards was a five star kid coming out of high school. All right, he wasn't a five star player at Florida State. You know it, 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 and he still got drafted high in the draft. Guy, these guys are going to get drafted high because they're physically gifted. You know, it's here, not- here, here's a here's a thing coming from a coaching standpoint, and I was fortunate to play against Clemson for a number of years, seven years or so. My years at Florida State and my years at NC State, we played Clemson, and Clemson's a magical place. Playing in Death Valley is magical, so I see why it attracts kids to go there. But here's what separates the ACC and the SEC, in my opinion: the fact that at Clemson, you look at teams that they were really good, and you mentioned Deshaun Watson. They had those kids at that school for four years. Kids aren't staying at those schools as much as they used to. Now, in the SEC, the difference between them both is the SEC, for some reason, you talk about Alabama and you talk about um, uh, Texas A&M, you talk about LSU. They have those kids that if somebody gets hurt, the kid behind them is not that bad of a drop-off, where if you go to Clemson, their their first team was as good as anybody in the country. No doubt. But the teams, the guys behind them weren't as good, and that's when you saw the drop-off compared to the SEC and the ACC. And I think that's what's happening with Clemson right now. Plus, the Clemson teams, they're developmental guys. They got good coaches on that staff. So they developed these players. So as you said, Deshaun Watson might not have been that guy, although he's pretty darn good. But at his senior year or his last year, you saw the, the talent of Deshaun Watson. And I think that's what the Clemson always banked off of is being able to take these kids and develop them for years and 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 be able to say, hey, our ones are as good as anybody in the country. But when you go to the Alabamas, the LSUs, the SEC, the Texas A&Ms and the SEC, they got they got a guy right behind them that if that guy drops off, this guy might be able to step right in and make not that much of a difference where it could be a difference at uh at Clemson and stuff like that. So, but you know, Clemson's nothing to be shaking a stick at because oh, they're gonna win they're, listen, they're good. They're gonna win the ACC this year and they're gonna be the team that competes for the playoff in the ACC. Let's be honest. That they are and you may have one or two other teams that knock them off this year because ACC is not right where it needs to be. It just isn't, but for them to compete for the playoffs and win the playoffs, I think there's a drop off over the last two years. You saw it last year in the playoffs in the second game. I, it was when they played last year, the talent level, their offensive line wasn't as good. Their guys didn't get pressure. The defensive coordinator had to dial up more blitzes. You go watch their team two years ago. They didn't blitz those four guys up front got after it. And it looked like there was eight guys in the backfield all the time because they were so darn talented up front. Well, like you said earlier, I went to the orange bowl this year, ACC versus sec, North Carolina, Texas A&M and North Carolina was playing out, out without a couple of their weapons. You know, those running backs and that good receiver. However, 
you saw the level at that game when it became the fourth quarter, Texas A&M just overmatched North Carolina. It was just the SEC overmatched them. And I think that's what you're starting to see a little bit of is, is, is the slack off in Clemson and some of the ACC schools compared to where an SEC school, you better play four quarters because in that fourth quarter, if they're conditioned properly, that SEC team is going to be pretty doggone good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, but you know, Fish has been—he's been—he's been hoping for the—he's been predicting the doom of Clemson for like two or three years. I'm not—I'm not, not predicting the doom. doom like that, but I just—you know. <laughs> yeah. No, he hasn't. He just—I get what you're saying, and I, I do. I get what you're saying, and I think there's a lot of validity to it. What I don't—I don't get into the tropes of deciding that a guy isn't as good as the guys before him because he's not the guys before him, like. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, I'm I, not going to say we've seen DJ Ugalele play two games. He played exceptionally well. You know, one was on the road at Notre Dame. He threw for what, 440 yards. So like Deshaun Watson didn't do that in his second start. I can tell you that much. Listen, I'm not right? saying so, the guy's not talented. What I, I, I know what, you're not what, saying what I'm that. trying to say is, all right, is that one, listen, what they've done at Clemson's remarkable. All right. Mm-hmm. They've had the greatest run in school history. I mean, I, I remember going to the Orange Bowl and watching them win a national title back in 82 or 83. They, for a long time, you always heard about Clemsoning and, and, and this team underachieving. What Dabo's done the last five or six, seven years at Clemson is remarkable. It's just very difficult to maintain. It just is. They, yeah. don't, have, they don't have in t- in-state talent to uh, support their program. There's not enough kids in South Carolina. They got to go into other states like Georgia and Florida, and 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 they got to continue to hit on every single one of those kids, and it's just is very difficult. I mean, heck, Florida State had all the resources in the world with Jimbo, and you saw, and they weren't able to maintain it. Florida hasn't been wasn't able to maintain it. Miami, it's just you're going to have that lull at some point. You're not going to hit on one class, and then all of a sudden you go from a national championship team to now you've only won 10 games or nine games, and then you have to change the coaching staff and it gets stale. It's just very hard to maintain. That's why what Alabama's done is it's, it's unprecedented. It will never happen again. You know, the only other program that has basically in my lifetime, one with every coach they've had is Ohio state, whether they had John Cooper, they had Trestle where they had urban Meyer because it's, it's one of the top three programs in the country. Kids want to go there. They, they, they're able to recruit uh, top-level coaches there. It's, it's, it, it's one of the one or two, three, four programs, you know, that win every, no matter who they've had as coach. But you see what happens at these other schools. Clemson's not, as great of a program as they are. A lot of it's smoke and mirrors. They got to put, like, look how they recruit. They got a freaking slide in their football office. Because they got a freaking it's South Carolina. There's not enough talent, and it's not enough of a draw. It's 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 remarkable what they've done, but it's hard to maintain. I just don't believe they're going to be in the playoffs the next ten years. One thing you have to do is you have to keep up with the Joneses facility wise. You have to continually to make up to um, make your upgrades in your facilities when you do take this little bit of a dive. You know where you're not winning a national championship, what have you, but the places like Texas and like Texas A&M and, and LSU and, and, and now uh, 
Clemson, when you go to their universities, you are in awe at these facilities. And if they do take a little lull in the season, they have to maintain their facilities and keep up with the Joneses because it's going to swing back in their favor. Yep, no doubt. Well, that was another great show, Demo. Um, I think we covered a lot, you know, from Florida Gator football to Miami football to Florida State football to recruiting to, I mean, heck, we're talking about the Clemson Tigers and what they've done. But uh, once again, it was a great show. Corey just uh, jumped ship and and uh, we're about to do the same. You could follow us um, on the Fish podcast and we, we do this on a weekly basis. We have going to continue to try to bring some great guests on. Hope you guys enjoy. And uh, it was a pleasure again, Demo. Yes, sir. You know, I, I, I want to leave it at this. Clemson is magical, just like the University of Florida Swamp. It's a magical place. So don't count those teams out ever. Oh, no, it's man. Great. Hey, 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 listen, it was I, there was a 10-year span that um, I don't think Florida State won there in like 10, 12 years till Jimbo yep. finally went up there and beat them uh, with his 2013 team. I remember uh, the sideline reporter was like, oh, you guys haven't won up here. And, and Jimbo had that little look in his eye and you knew <laughs> he didn't really care that they lost the last 10 because no. that night it was going to win matter. this one. That's yeah, right. So. That's right. But, uh, well, we will hook up and, uh, you know, I, for those fans out there, once you're listening to the podcast, give us those five-star ratings and continue to listen to us. And, and like I said, we're going to have some special guests, um, coming up uh, we're going to get some college coaches to come on and discuss their programs and and uh, what their schools are going to do this fall but uh, we look forward to being back next week and uh, i'll talk to you later Dima. hey stay tuned yeah take it easy